0: Today we'll be talking about the political, social, economic, and class struggle in Turkey. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to The Socialist Program. I'm your host, Brian Becker. If you enjoy or rely on this show or both, please show your support by subscribing to our show at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. Today, we're talking with the Secretary General of the Turkish Communist Party or the Communist Party of Turkey, TKP, Kamal Okyan. Kamal, welcome back. Hello, Brian. How are you? Very, very good. I mean, Kamal, I had a great honor and pleasure in a trip to Turkey in September 2018 with Eugene Puryer representing the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Your party was very gracious. You hosted us. You took us around. We were able to see the very, very impressive achievements of TKP and the beginnings of of a new workers movement. And I'd like to be able to just help our audience, and especially for those who may not know that much about Turkey, to provide in the beginning the political orientation and the origin of your party, of the TKP, and also in the context of what's going on inside of Turkey, and we're going to cover a lot. Of course, there's an upcoming election In June 2023. Again, all of this is playing out in the context of a global economic crisis and inside of the Middle East or inside of your neighbors in the Middle East, also very, very grave contradictions. So let's just get started with the TKP for those who are hearing about it, say, for the first time.
1: Yes, actually, we were a very small organization during the late 70s. We came out of one of the Political parties that we can call a pro-Soviet party at that time, Workers Party of Turkey. There is a party in that name also now today, but that was a different party. So we were expelled actually from that party. They called us a left defiance. They called us a Trotskyite party. It was not the case actually. And then in the 1980s there was the military coup, and the Turkish left which supposed to be very strong at that period. Actually, we had a very strong blow from the state during the fascist military coup. So we started organizing beginning from 1982 as a very small organization, and we had to be an illegal organization because of the military regime. And we continued, and we started publishing a theoretical magazine in 1986, and we started actual political work in some years. And in 1992, we established the Party for Socialist Power, the first legal party of our organization. It was a small party when compared to our party now. And then in some years, we developed rapidly. We especially organized in main cities in Turkey, And then in 2001, we decided to take the name of Communist Party of Turkey. Well, at that time, Communist Party of Turkey, the historical party, was actually liquidated by their leader. They followed the Gorbachev line. They became social democrats. So there were no functioning Communist Party of Turkey at that period. So we said that Communist Party of Turkey which was established in 1920, we should organize that party once again. So we had members from that historical communist party of Turkey also, and we started to use the name legally in 2001. Well, of course, this was a challenge for our party, because according to the Turkish law, you cannot establish or you cannot function as a communist party that article is still Turkish law but we managed to survive fighting legally and politically and we managed to organize we managed to participate the elections although we had to fight a lot to overcome this article that banned that did not permit to function or to work in the name of Communist Party. Well, now, since 21 years, we used this name and we managed to survive. And now we are a more strong party, politically, organizationally. We function all around Turkey. We have many branches. So that is a brief history of our party.
0: Thank you very much for that. Kamal, again, for the people listening to this show who may have very little knowledge of the Turkish political scene, I also want to have you talk a little bit about the struggle for a secular identity in Turkey. Now, this may seem a little bit odd for people in the United States, but they may not realize that the founding of the modern Turkish Republic following World War I, the creation of a modern secular government, meaning a government where there was a separation between church and state or the mosque and state, that this was a very important part of the Turkish War of Independence and then the foundation of the Turkish Republic not in the context of a government that was building socialism. It was a government that was aligned in many ways, diplomatically with the USSR, with the Soviet Union. But it's hallmark, it's feature, it's dominant political feature. The thing that made it modern was that it wasn't a religious government. And now we have President Erdogan in power for some amount of time, And as we learned, as Eugene Perrier and I learned in our visit to you in 2018, the struggle to retain the secular identity of Turkey is a fundamental task, an important part of your struggle, meaning the struggle of communists and socialists in Turkey is in the long run, of course, to have a socialist Turkey. But in the short term, to preserve some of these traditions that are under attack, let's just help our audience understands some of that struggle.
1: Well, Brian, that's a very complicated issue. As you said, Turkish independence movement or war during the early 1920s, just after the October Revolution in Russia. Well, mainly there were two characteristics of that struggle. One was, of course, independence, because the Anatolia, the main part of Turkey, was actually occupied by Italians, France, and, of course, the Greeks afterwards, and the British. So it was a struggle for independence. But, of course, there were some internal issues also, because the movement was a bourgeois revolutionary movement, and they were against the empire, against the sultan, and they were against the religious character of the political system. So it was not only a struggle against the foreign occupiers, but also it was a struggle for an internal change for a modern country. Well, in that period, we have to take into account that there was a revolutionary situation in the world, especially in Europe. And Turkey was a neighbor of Soviet Russia, and then Soviet Union. And they created an alliance, of course, the leaders of the Turkish revolution, Turkish bourgeois revolution, they were not communists, they were anti-communist. But in that period, there were two fronts, one counter-revolution and the other is revolution, which Soviet Union was the leading force. Turkey at that period was in that revolutionary front. And so this affected Turkey. Turkish Republic in 1923, when it was established, it was influenced by some ideas of Soviet Union, although the leaders were anti-communists. And one was, of course, a secular country. Because you have to take into account that Turkey is a Muslim society. Being a secular force, it is a new thing. And Turkey really enjoyed a secular political system for many years. And after the Second World War, it was a decision taken by United States and Germany to get rid of the secular system in Turkey, because they realized that religion will be the main obstacle against socialism in Turkey. So day by day, Turkey again turned to be an Islamic state. But Erdogan, or the AKP, the party of Erdogan, made a great contribution to that process. And now Turkey is not a secular state. Why this is important? Look, Islamic society is a very interesting society. It has some differences when compared to Christianity because it's a much more later religion and it can adapt itself to capitalism or at least trade, we can say. So in Islam, inequalities are much more legal. Or let us say, you don't question inequalities in the society. There are rich people and poor people. You don't question, but you try to give some of your money to poor people. Okay, this is how all the religions work. But in Islam, you take it as such inequalities. That is one reason. Second, in Islam, you turn the society to a religious caste. So the modern class struggles need a social background, need a society. But in Islam, you destroy the society and you turn it to a religious caste. So this creates a lot of difficulties for us, for a communist party to work. And another issue is related with women. Women in Turkey was uh, is still a very important factor in the social life. But day by day, there's a severe pressure on women to exclude them from political life, cultural life, and of course, from the economic life. It is not easy because Turkey is a real economy now, it is a strong economy. You cannot get rid of women But they are trying a lot. So our party is fighting on this issue. Our fight for socialism cannot be separated from our struggle for a secular country. This is in our genetics in our party. So I don't know whether I could explain it, but this is one of the issues, main issues in our struggle.
0: And where does Erdogan, where is Erdogan going on this issue now? I mean, because there's been different stages and phases of the struggle, different points of emphasis. What about right now with Erdogan and his orientation?
1: Well, actually, his main supporters are Islamic fundamentalists. So that is their main idea. They cannot get rid of this. So they will continue on this direction. But the problem is, in the cities, they realize that they cannot exercise the project that they have in mind. Because in the cities, women, in the main cities especially, Istanbul, Ankara, Izmir, women is everywhere in the cultural life, economic life, ideological, political life. And you see the women are resisting, they are fighting for their existence in the social life. So Erdoğan realized that they cannot overcome this obstacle. And we have to take into account that in Turkey, urbanization process was very rapid compared to other countries. So now Turkey is not a rural country. The main population is living in the cities and when you live in the cities, it's not easy to continue those strict Islamic rules or conservative traditions. So there is a daily contradiction within the social life in Turkey. For example, his struggle against alcohol consumption. Okay, our party is not (laughs) in favor of drinking. But of course, this is part of the social life and people want to drink. And it is not easy for Erdogan to forbid alcohol consumption. So they are trying to increase the prices. They are trying to ban drinking in some places, but people still continue to drink. It is a symbol now. And in main cities, people don't want to change their way of living. Also, as I said, it is especially for the women. For example, the way they dress, Erdogan and his party constantly try to impose the Islamic way of dressing. But women resist this and they continue to dress like the Western type of dressing or more comfortable dresses. So this is a struggle in daily cultural life in Turkey.
0: Does your party have an active organization and movement that it's building for women, for women's rights here, as you well know, there's been a very severe attack against women's rights yes. in the United States. The abortion rights, which was considered a not only a legal right, but a very popular legal right, even among Republicans, the majority of Republicans and certainly the majority of Republican voting women and girls are for the right to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. In other words, to get an abortion. But the right wing of the U.S. ruling class using the Supreme Court, six individuals, have now extinguish that right. And so this kind of core issue for women and of women's rights and anyone who needs an abortion, but more than just those who need an abortion, it's the issue of do women have the right to control their own bodies or will it be the church? Because the Supreme Court in America is dominated by religious zealots who have a particular view. It feels like in one way the struggle is going backwards because Roe v. Wade, abortion rights happened a half century ago, and yet this push back by the right wing and by bigots is actually propelling a new wave of activism and organization. Are you seeing a similar phenomena in Turkey?
1: That's true, and there's a real woman movement in Turkey, and our party is actively participating. Of course, we are not following a liberal line in Turkey, which is not a class based woman movement, but our party is struggling on this issue for many years, and we are a member of the World Women's Federation. Plus, we are organizing women's solidarity committees all over Turkey, which is giving assistance to women on legal issues, on ideological, cultural issues. Even we are involving some problems that women are facing in their families. So it's a very complex issue and we are doing our best. And I think I can inform your audience, our friends in the United States, that in a Muslim society, in a Muslim country, our party's membership rates are nearly 38% of our Members are women, so this is relatively high when compared to other Muslim countries as a communist party. And we are trying to improve. And now women in our leading bodies, committees, are also increasing the number of our women comrades. So it is a real issue for our party and, of course, Turkish society.
0: Yeah, I was extremely impressed when I had an opportunity to visit you in 2018 when Eugene and I came. The level of leadership from women, both in the party and in mass organizations, was very, very, very significant and very impressive. And undoubtedly, Kamal, in the coming period, especially as this tug of war about basic bourgeois democratic rights is being undertaken and the forces of reaction where you are and also where we are, it makes it a, a sort of a focus of the struggle. And of course there is the absolute right of women in general, not simply working class women or poor women. But when you look at who's impacted the most by these regressions in social life, it is in fact working class and poor women in particular, who are the most victimized, the most vulnerable. And we believe here in the United States that this will be a cardinal point of the struggle going forward. And even here in many other areas, which we don't have time to talk about right now, but we could at another time, there is a real threat to existing bourgeois democratic rights, which in a way people assume that these rights are here, that they're going to stay here, but then forces of reaction try to roll them back or crush
1: them. That's true, Brian. And I can say Erdoğan in Turkey tried to get rid of abortion rights around 10 years ago. And there was a great reaction from the society, especially from women, and he couldn't. Okay, they tried to squeeze a bit, but there is still a right for abortion in Turkey, thanks to the struggle of the woman.
0: Let's talk about what's going on with Erdogan, the orientation of the government. And again, it seems confusing and complicated for people from a distance because in 2011, following the destruction by NATO of the Libyan government, the US established the next plan on that path, which was to destroy the government in Syria. And the mantra of Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama was Assad must go, Assad must go. And the assumption was that Assad would be destroyed yeah. as the Gaddafi regime had been destroyed in Libya. And Erdogan played a very major role in unfolding this war, this imperialist sponsored war against the Syrian government. And the Syrian government is a bourgeois government. It's not a communist government. It's not a socialist government, but it was an independent government. And so as a consequence, it was being targeted. And here you have Turkish military forces still in and around the northern part of Syria, even though the Assad government, as a consequence of the intervention from Russia and Iran and Hezbollah, and of course, the ability to keep the Syrian Arab army intact, and all of those reasons, the the counter-revolution against the Assad government was defeated. But where is Erdogan, where is the Turkish regime now in this era? Because you can see different maneuvers. Of course, Erdogan, when Putin made his trip to Tehran, Erdogan showed up. And there seems to be possibly some reorientation by the Erdogan government having been defeated in its initial quest to destroy or to take over or make Syria a puppet regime. Let's just kind of go over what's new there.
1: Well, Brian, as you said, Erdogan's role in the Syrian conflict was terrible. Everybody says that United States pushed Turkey in Syria during the first the Arab Spring, but we can say that just the opposite is also relevant. Turkey pushed United States or Turkey encouraged United States in Syria because Turkey gave the information that the Muslim brothers were strong in Syria, and that was the information given by Erdogan to U.S. leadership. And it was not so. So they were thinking that they would throw away Assad in a few weeks. So now Turkey is in Syria with its own military and plus with its proxy military, the so-called Free Syrian Army, or National Syrian Army with a new name, And Turkey says that we have a security issue in Syria. PKK is attacking from that part to Turkey. Or we will not permit a Kurdish state or Kurdish zone within Syria. That is Turkey's official explanation to its military presence. But actually, we have to take into account that Turkey in recent years... Follow the new Ottomanist approach in the region. Turkish military is not only in Syria. Turkish military is in Iraq, in Libya. Okay, in Syria and in Iraq, it is illegal, you know, because Iraqi government or Syrian government does not accept Turkey to be present in their countries. But more. Turkey is in Azerbaijan. Okay, they have a good relation to governments, But Turkish military's presence in the region is extremely growing. And in some other African countries also, not only in Libya. So this is a policy which is backed by Turkish capital. So it is economics. If you have an economic interest, if you invest or if you try to have some sources in the region, you have to use your military. So Turkey's intention in Syria cannot be reduced to security issues. It is ideology, Islamic ideology. They wanted to get rid of Assad because Assad is also a secular representative in Syria. Syria was a secular state and still it is a secular state. And they wanted to get rid of this. Plus, Turkey has an economic interest in Syria. So now, Turkey's policy in Syria has collapsed. They try to find a new way. But I don't think that Erdogan will try to make an agreement with Assad and accept to get out of Syria. No. Erdogan is a very good gambler, very good player. For example, he plays with Russia, but now he is in Ukraine. He tries to, again, develop his relation with NATO countries, with the United States, but he is also playing a very interesting game with Putin. So in Syria, okay, he will try to cooperate with Russia, but he will not pull back. I don't think so. He will try to use his time. He will try to play with different cards. He will try to convince United States to cooperate in Syria. So I don't think that Turkey will radically change its policy in Syria, but now they are in a very difficult position because we have the emigrants. the elections are coming, So he has to send back some of the Syrians, at least one or two millions out of five million, send back them to Syria. He has to do it because during the electoral process, there's a big reaction coming from the Turkish population, which is not good for us because we try to support the rights of the immigrants. But it is reality. There's a big, big reaction in the society against those migrants. So Erdogan has to find a way. But as I said, I don't think that he will make a radical shift because he has a very strong position in Syria. Turkey has a military presence. They are using newly built National Syrian Army, which is in the hands of Erdogan. So I don't think that he will give them away quickly. This is a bargaining point. He is using the main struggle of United States or NATO with Russia in an excellent way. And he is benefiting. And Turkey is not a small power, although our economy is in a terrible shape with its military, with its young working class. And it is an educated working class. And the geographical position of Turkey is an advantage for Erdogan. So he will continue to use or try to use them in a very clever way, dancing in that international conflict area.
0: Yeah, it's extremely important for people to have a a compass here, to be able to understand the direction of Erdogan and the level of maneuver and what the real objectives are of the Turkish government. So we have Turkish military forces in Syria, occupying Syria, and presumably are under the public rationale that they want to prevent a Kurdish enclave or an autonomous Kurdish region and or they are attacking PKK forces who are inside of Syria. Then you have the United States also occupying Syria and using the Kurdish forces inside of Syria as a public rationale for the American occupation, and NATO, of which Erdogan and Turkey are the eastern flank, and it's a U.S.-led military alliance and the most important military alliance for the United States in this epoch. So you have these kind of contradictions, and I'm wondering how it plays out in the public Obviously, the public is upset because there's another million or two million Syrian refugees who are only in Turkey because of the civil war, so-called. It's really a war of aggression promoted by the U.S. and Turkey and earlier Saudi Arabia. They're only there because of that war. They didn't succeed at winning the war. The Assad government is still in place. Turkish forces operate in Syria under the rationale of fighting against the Kurds, and the Kurds are the American ally. I mean, in a way, it seems stranger than fiction. It seems hard to understand. But again, the Erdogan government's orientation is to never, it seems to me, to never leave Syria. In other words, to keep, as the Ottoman Empire once controlled Syria, at least to control a part of Syria. Anyway, do you see it that way? And also, how does the public in addition to being annoyed or sort of incentivized over the issue of immigrants at a time when there's a larger economic crisis, how does the public
1: view this? Well, the public from the beginning did not support any involvement in this searing conflict. There was no support on this issue, but... Erdogan government convinced Turkish society that there is a threat coming from Kurdish zone in Syria that is supported by the United States. So there is a, still a support on this basis to the government. Because it's in all countries, it is not easy to oppose those national issues, so-called national issues. So they are playing that game in a very clever way. As I said, I don't see that Turkey's involvement in Syria is a security issue. They created that security issue. And we must not forget that during the first phase of the Syrian conflict, Turkish government, Erdogan, was directly supporting the Kurds, the Kurdish political party in Syria, against Assad. So the leaders were coming to Ankara. They were even hosted like head of state, and they were carrying Turkish passports, those Kurdish leaders in Syria. And suddenly everything changed. So this is politics, that is politics dependent of Turkish interests, and Turkish interests are now the interests of the Turkish bourgeoisie. So we have to take into account that Turkish capital has a lot of intentions in Syria. For example, who will construct Syria again? That is a real question. And Turkish construction firms (laughs) are now searching for every opportunity. Okay, they might make an agreement with Assad in the end to penetrate to Syria. But now they think that the Turkish occupied part is a great option for Turkey. And you know, there is also petroleum coming from Syria illegally to Turkey. So this is a very complicated issue, and I don't think that Erdogan will suddenly or immediately change his position. He will try to get a lot to change his policy in Syria, and I don't think that the time has come yet.
0: Kamal, I'm hoping and we are hoping that we have this interview as the first step in at least a few more interviews, because there's a lot of ground to cover and our audience is concerned about social progress, about socialism, about the fight against imperialism and the geostrategic position and the size of Turkey and the size of the Turkish economy and the size of the Turkish military makes understanding the dynamic struggle in Turkey essential really for people who care about internationalism and care about solidarity and care about social change. So hopefully, we'll be able to have you come back and do a follow-up interview or interviews, especially about the social and political dynamics and the state of the left in the run-up to what will be an important election in June 2023. But with that said, I want to ask you a final question for now, which is, Erdogan has been the dominant political force from within the bourgeois establishment in Turkey for some time and the AKP, in spite of its different ups and downs and crisis and contradictions, it's maneuvered its way from here to there, all kinds of seemingly absolutely contradictory positions. And yet Erdogan, as you said, is clever, he's a gambler, he knows how to gamble. What do you think about the political situation inside of Turkey as it relates to AKP and Erdogan over the next year? Do you see Erdogan as stable enough politically to be able to, for the AKP to retain the dominant position? Or, or do you think we've entered a period of extreme instability such that it will challenge Erdogan's hold on power?
1: Well, Brian, for the first time, he has a real opposition which is an alternative now. For the first time, this happened for 20 years now. So Erdogan has a big rival now, a coalition or an alliance which is pro-Western, right-wing, pro-American, but it's a real opposition and it is an alternative, yes. Most of the people think that now the time of Erdogan is over, but we don't think so. There is still some months to the elections, but Erdogan has still some cards in his hands to play. First of all, the opposition played all their cards to big Turkish capital and United States and European Union. The opposition tries to get the support of Turkish big capital and the Western powers. Okay, that might be the key for a success in normal or a more stabilized period. But now the world is in a very interesting period with the war in Ukraine, with all those crises, the crisis of the hegemony in the imperial system. And United States is now in a difficult period to continue their hegemony. So Erdogan is, uses this crisis within the world system in a very clever way. And as the opposition has nothing to do, even in words, with a popular opposition. For example, Turkey is in a deep crisis with a big inflation rate. In reality, the inflation rate is over 120. Officially, it is 80%. Even during this crisis, The opposition parties, the alliance parties, do not use the anger within the working class or in the poor strata. They are still using the language of Turkish capital. So Erdogan might again use his populist rhetoric in the coming months, and he started to do so. He started giving a lot of money. He started criticizing Turkish capital and saying that you should also sacrifice like the poor people. So Erdoğan might again win this game. And as a party, we try to open the third front. We are not part of the bourgeois opposition, of course, which are pro-American, pro-Western, pro-Big Capital. Of course, we are fighting, we are struggling against the Erdogan government. So we try to open a third front, which is independent from both alliances and supporting the working class, supporting the secular ideas in Turkey and supporting the anti-imperialist traditions in Turkish society. Let us see. I think there will be a lot in the coming months to discuss about Turkey. We are preparing for a very difficult period, even a chaotic period.
0: All right. Well, we hope to be able to talk with you the next time about that third front, the front of opposition to Erdogan which is rooted in the working class, working with the small farmers, with those who are seeking a profound radical transformation of Turkey. Kamal, thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking with the Secretary General of the TKP, the Communist Party of Turkey. Kamal Okyan will have him back. We're going to continue to follow all of the issues in NATO, in Turkey, in the Middle East. And of course, in when we talk about Turkey, we want to talk about the domestic social class and political struggles inside of that country. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. Thank you.